All right, you ready for Luke 4? Now, I love this passage. We've already done the first part of Luke chapter 4, where Jesus has gone out into the wilderness, led of the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days of prayer and fasting, preparing himself to begin his ministry. Now, all of that gets really focused on the temptation of Christ, uh, where Satan tempts Jesus, the three ways. We talked about that last week. If you weren't here, I suggest you you uh, watch that message, listen to that online at our on our website, or it's on YouTube. But he's begun his ministry. He is now going out through all the cities to do the very work he's begun to do. But now Luke takes us to Jesus returning to his hometown. And there's an amazing, amazing, and even disappointing lesson here in this where Jesus returns to his hometown. I'm going to pick up at verse 14 of Luke chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, and news of him went, went out throughout all the region, the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The news of Jesus' ability to perform miracles has spread. It is one thing for Jesus to say that he is the Messiah. It's another thing to prove it. And these very signs are recorded in the Old Testament that he will do these miracles when he comes. So he either is or he isn't the Messiah. And it's always fascinating for me to hear people who haven't done their homework have strong opinions about Jesus. He, he, that's all fict, fictitious. Nobody can do these things. You remember the very reason Luke is writing is to document an accurate account of these events. The very reason he's writing is to, is to see whether or not these things really happened or not. And he's writing to possibly a Roman official or somebody important named Theophilus. Look right there at the beginning of Luke's gospel. He has no intention of fostering some story that isn't true. And in fact, you and I have 
nothing to gain by believing something that isn't true. Because if this isn't true, I'm off somewhere else. I'm not playing a religious game with you. I have better things to do with my time, and you have better things to do with your time than to get caught up in a religion that doesn't do anything except give you some morals to live by, which, by the way, is the very definition of religion. We're talking about a genuine relationship with the living God. The very God who created heaven and earth is present with us and working in our lives to change us from what we were to what we can be. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. Because here's the truth. I need to be changed. I am pathetic. Don't say amen. (laughs) I know what I used to be. I know what I was as a teenager in my 20s, in my 30s. And over the years, I have seen the Lord make me into a different person. I grew up in a very abusive household. And people that knew me back when I was very young are surprised at who I am now. My own family. Jesus is going to his hometown. And I think of my own family. I'm the youngest of five. An older brother who is in heaven now and three older sisters. And when I became a pastor, they looked at me kind of cross-eyed like, really? My own mother, when I said I'm going to become a pastor, she said, really? Can you do that? Yes, I was 35. That was, that was a long time ago. It is the power of God to intervene in our lives and deliver us from circumstances and even character that is holding us back. And that's what Jesus is saying he has come to do. He goes back to his hometown. They've all heard the stories. Now, here's the problem. They know him. They know him, and they're thinking, we're not quite so sure that he is the Messiah. Because we think we know him. And Jesus' habit was to go to a synagogue to their service and participate A typical service in the synagogue would be the opening with an invocation for God's blessing, then reciting a traditional Hebrew confession of faith. It would be typically Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. It's called the Shema, if you've never heard of that. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. How many have you ever heard of that? It's so familiar, it sounds New Testament. To love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in fact, the lawyer, a lawyer tried to trick Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? And he quoted this. How can you argue with this? 
And in fact, this is the heart of the entire law and the prophets. In other words, if you allow God's word to work in your heart, this is what God wants to accomplish in your life, that you will love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and even in the New Testament is added in your strength. So it was followed by a prayer, prescribed readings from the law and the prophets. A brief sermon might have been shared by a rabbi or one of the men in the congregation. It was closed with a benediction or by, by a priest or by one of the men in the congregation. There would typically be a prescribed reading. Now, Jesus is there. Well, Jesus is with us. Let's let him read the scripture. He was handed the book of Isaiah. That would not be the whole collection of the Old Testament. Remember, there wasn't all 66 books together. They would hand him one of the scrolls. They handed him Isaiah. That was the, the book prescribed for that service. He chose Isaiah 61, and he read a portion of that chapter, which was known to everybody in the room that it referred to the Messiah. He knew exactly what he was reading. He read it handed the scroll back to the attendant, and he sat down. Now, that doesn't mean he was done, because teachers in the synagogue would teach sitting down. The way we're doing it now with you sitting and me standing, it's all wrong. So next Sunday, you are going to stand the whole service, and I get to sit down. Is that okay? That's not a good way to grow a church. So Jesus sits down, and everybody is then waiting to hear what he is going to say. And what he says is, today is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. Do you realize what he said? This scripture that describes the coming of the Messiah, he says, it's just happened. That's a pretty bold thing to say. That is a pretty bold thing to say. The year that he's talking about He says in verse 19 to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Give me a second. Once in a while, my bad eyes, I've got to focus. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That is referring to the year of Jubilee. Every seven years, the Jews would take a sabbatical rest. How would you like it if God said every seven years, you can take the whole year off? That's pretty good. The land was allowed to rest. Animals were allowed to rest. Servants, they were not to work the land. And every 50 years would be the year of Jubilee when the economy essentially was reset. Debts were canceled. 
Land was returned to original owners. Slaves were set free. It's not slaves as you think of slavery. It would be indentured servants who couldn't pay debts. Now they're working off their debt. The land was allowed to lay fallow. In other words, this would be this every 50 years where, how would you like a year? Everybody's debt in this room canceled. I think I buy into that system. Debts canceled. Slaves set free. A year off. It is a year of jubilee. A year to rest in the Lord's provision. And Jesus is saying that my coming is this being played out right now. Debts canceled. The acceptable year of the Lord. That is, in effect, the the effects of the power of the gospel. Paul said in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The power of the message of salvation in Jesus Christ heals the brokenhearted, gives liberty to captives, gives spiritual sight to the blind. And in fact, the Bible pictures the effects of sin as being debt, blindness, captivity, and oppression. There is a spiritual debt, spiritual blindness, spiritual bondage or captivity, and spiritual oppression. We have all experienced those things, haven't we? It's easy for us to see somebody else overcome by the, the bondage of sin and be judgmental. But the fact is, every one of us struggles against some appeal of sin in our lives. It's always there. The difference now being born again and filled with the Spirit is we are delivered from the power of that sin. We're delivered from the punishment of that sin. We are delivered from the control of that sin over our lives unless you choose to go back and indulge in it again. You see, before you were born again, you couldn't get free from it. Literally, the power of the gospel breaks the power of that sin over your life. So I'm I'm free from its control. And then if it ever controls me again, it's because I chose to go back and do it, not because I had to. And every one of us is making daily choices to stay free from the controlling power of sin. Did you know that? Of course you know that. We all know those little things. Stop looking at me with judgmental eyes. 
you all know the thing that tends to get a control over you. And it's a daily walk of faith to say, Lord, give me power over that. Give me power over that. It is every, every day. And in the Lord is that sense that the slaves are set free, slaves of sin. The debt has been paid. It is the year of Jubilee. Now, the question is, how did the people of his hometown respond to his declaration that he had come to fulfill this prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. Look at verse 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph, Joseph's son? He said to them, you will surely say to me, Say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard in Capernaum, do also in your country. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Now, why didn't they accept the very work he wanted to do in his hometown? This is like one of those amazing Bible lessons. I remember when I came across this many years ago, and I thought, am I like this? Here's the reason he couldn't do the work he wanted to do. It's because they thought they already knew him. They said, well, we already know you. They already, they already had a fixed way that they could relate to Jesus. You're just Mary and Joseph's son. You think you're a big deal? We know who you are. We remember when you were a little kid. You are, stop acting like you're any big deal. And the, that's the amazing dichotomy of him being one of us and humble like us and yet beginning his ministry and to get people to see him as more than just one of them. You know what the lesson is for us? Here we are. We show up at church week after week. And we, if you've been in church very many years of your life, you know how this is going to go. Opening prayer, a few songs, some announcements. I hope they don't drag on too long. Then the pastor's got a message. He needs to wrap it up because I'm getting hungry. We're going to close with, with a closing prayer, appeal for you to respond to the Lord. I hope the pastor doesn't drag this out. We don't want this big altar call because I have things to do today. We know how church goes. And the familiarity of it causes us often to not see the unexpected thing that God wants to do. Is that true? Yeah. That's a big lesson. Yeah. That is like one of the biggest lessons I can think of in the Bible. That God wants to work, and I say I want him to work, 
but I shut it down because that doesn't fit in how I think it should go. I already know how this is going to go. Jesus says, I, you're going to say to me, physician, heal yourself. That's just another way of saying, come on, Jesus, do a miracle. We've heard big stories of what you did in Orange County. We've heard big stories in other cities in Portland. Oh, you're, you're here now? Okay, show us. It wasn't a genuine, we need you. Please help me with this. Jesus, I'm not sure if everything is true I've heard about you. That could be an honest skepticism. You might say, look, I don't know if all of this is true that I've heard about Jesus, but this is how I need help. Somebody else goes in, oh, I've heard about Jesus. I don't know if that stuff's true. Which person is the one that God can help? God can work with an honest skeptic, not a hard-hearted skeptic. Because of the nature of how God works in your life, he appeals to you to choose to let him work. Because it's a relationship. And it's a love, it's a a relationship based on love. And love appeals to your choice. So right now, you're choosing to hear me or not. You're choosing to let God speak to your heart or not. And in the way that God wants to work, he will work with your permission. Familiarity kept them from believing in Jesus. And Jesus begins to talk about, he just mentions in passing, two examples of how God works in other people's lives that in the Jews' eyes didn't deserve God's help. I'm going to pick up at verse 25. He says, but I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Now, I'm not going to take time to tell you those whole stories there in the Old Testament. They're amazing stories. But here's the point. He's mentioning two examples of things that really happened in the Old Testament that because he's in the synagogue, they all know what he's talking about. In the days of Elisha. But essentially, these two people that God helped were Gentiles. Now, in the eyes of the Jews, God didn't help anybody but the Jews. And in fact, God loved the Jews and nobody else. 
to in the eyes of, of Israelites. And in fact, to make it even worse, the only reason they thought God created the Gentiles was to put in hell. So when they looked at the Jews, they were the outcasts. God would never do anything for those people. And they selectively have forgotten the fact that Israel has a history of rebellion against God. They completely forget that. And so in their minds, they think they are the privileged people and there's nothing wrong with them. They don't need any help. Does it sound like church people? Yeah. I am pretty awesome. And yet Jesus is saying, you need help and I'm willing to help you. But you have closed yourself off. And remember that if you close yourselves off, God will go help somebody else. The very people that you think are undeserving, God will just go help them. Well, not those people, because we're the awesome people. And what I'm mindful of is that we're one of many churches in Albany. I believe that God wants to and can work in all the churches. We're not special. The other churches are, or we are special. They're special too, whatever. But God will work here if we receive the work he wants to do. I don't want to be like his hometown and go, well, we know how it goes. And then we miss out. So Jesus is saying, look, if you don't want it, I'm going to go on and work somewhere else. And Mark records this in Mark 6, verses 5 and 6. Now he could not do mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and helped them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. It's a trick question. What God, what, what things can God not do? Or is there anything that God can't do? He can't help people who won't, won't trust him. Can't do it. Familiarity in a family is interesting. About 20 years ago, my older brother, 11 years older than me, his wife called from Hawaii and said, Terry, can you come? Well, that just threw me into a panic because, you see, I'm pastoring Calvary Chapel, Portland. I knew my brother had cancer and was down to 95 pounds. My brother left our home when I was seven, went into the Navy, and never looked back. We talked occasionally, but about nothing personal. When I became a pastor, he never asked me about being a pastor. When I would ever see him, he would never ask me about anything spiritual. And then he gets cancer. They can't cure him. He, he knows his days are numbered. 
his wife calls and says, Terry, can you come? And I'm thinking, this is amazing, but Lord, I don't have any idea what to say. We don't even talk, much less talk about spiritual things. So I'm on the plane that day to Hawaii, to Honolulu. Get off the plane, go straight to the hospital, Kaiser Hospital. All the time I'm thinking, what do I say? I know the gospel. I know what the Bible says. But what do I say to my own brother? I was in my early 40s. And it was as if, the, of course, the Lord prepared everything. I walked into his hospital room and it was just happened so naturally I said to my brother, Don, I said, do you know what happens to a Christian when we die? I mean, it's like one of the first things out of my mouth because it was so obvious he needed to hear that and he was ready. And I prayed with he and his wife to receive the Lord, like right within minutes of getting there. And after I was done visiting with them, strangely, my sister-in-law's brother was also in the hospital down the hall with bone cancer. And she said, could you go visit my brother? And so I went and visited him, he and his wife, and they both prayed and received the Lord. And my family would not ask me, my sisters asked me, that's what sisters do. But my brother would never ask me anything spiritual. You're just, you're just a kid. I got home. I stayed there about two weeks, got home. The day I got home, my sister-in-law calls and says, Terry, can you come back? It was kind of nice to have you here. And I said, well, I, I can't come back right away, but maybe I can call the Calvary Chapel in Honolulu uh, I'm, my friend pastored the, the church there. I could see maybe somebody from the church could come back and visit Don. So I called the church. They said, we have a man in the church who spent his, his ministry is to go visit cancer patients in the hospital. So he went to see my brother that day. Now, here's the thing. That man got out of the hospital that day dealing with his own cancer. And do you know who was his roommate in the hospital when he was there? That's right, my brother. So I call the hospital. They send a man to go visit my brother. It turns out my brother already knows him because they had shared a room. And to them, to my brother and his wife, that was just confirmation of how the Lord was working and was with them. Now that man passed away shortly within a couple of months. And then my brother passed away shortly after that. I mean, within a week, I think it was. And so I go back to Honolulu to do my brother's funeral and the cemetery at Diamond Head. And that man who had visited my brother was the drummer 
on the worship team in the church, the Calvary Chapel, Honolulu. And so I went back to do my brother's funeral, and I also played drums on the worship team that Sunday morning for the man who visited my brother, which that whole story was told to the whole church. There kept just these back and forth interactions, the story and the connections, and all of that was just just showing my brother and his wife just that the Lord was constantly working in their lives. That was over 20 years ago. She still is serving the Lord, attends a local church, uh, and her kids. And this whole thing about familiarity and people aren't open until it's a real crisis. And often we don't ask the Lord or allow the Lord to work in our lives until we are desperate. Until we are desperate. I'm going to have the worship team come up. In the rest of this chapter, I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning, but Jesus goes on just to continue his ministry. And he's claimed that he has authority over sickness, authority over disease. And in the rest of this chapter, it talks about his demonstrations of his authority, his authority in teaching, because he plainly was different than the religious leaders. His authority over disease, his authority over demons. He just would speak the word and cast out a demon. He would speak the word and... and People were cured of disease. And again, I've, from the beginning of the service today, I'm talking to you about how the Lord wants to work in your life this morning. But it's important then, as you've heard me, that you say, okay, Lord, here I am. <laughs> 